welcome to Not Safe for Wonks. Brandon Buchanan is here. Kennedy Cooper is here. Hello. How's it going? How are you feeling, by the way? You know, uh, trapped inside. All feeling trapped inside. <laughs> trapped inside our bodies, trapped inside our souls, trapped inside a political system that has squashed all of our deepest ambitions. Primary season is officially over. It's concluded. Um, so we've obviously had uh, a lot of congressional candidates on. We've had Nabila Islam on. Rebecca Parsons has been on. Uh, we can just go through the whole list. Shanyat's been on. We've had just just tons of great guests. But once in a while, we like to talk to people that are running for local offices because we've talked so much earlier about the importance of local politics. So when we can get somebody that's running for uh, a local seat, it's really excited to do it, especially if it's someone who is close to home. Uh, as y'all know, I'm in Atlanta, so I was able to find someone miraculously who is um, running for an office that's pretty close to me. Um, and if you'd like to introduce yourself, Mariam, feel free to let people know who the heck you are. Hey, everyone. I'm Mariam Ahmad, also a.k.a. Mariam Ahmad. Um, and I am running for DeKalb County Commissioner, District 6. I'm a native of DeKalb, born and raised, DeKalb Medical, still here. And this super district six, can you describe the difference between a, a district and a super district? Yeah, so there's only two super districts in DeKalb. And literally it's half of the western half is district six and the eastern half is district seven and literally encompasses 350,000 people each. Generally, generally, when we have people on, we go, oh, describe your district and tell us about the politics and tell us about the RVI and all this other stuff. And all that's cool. Um, but I feel like when describing your district um, as someone who lives near here, near you, like like a maybe 15 minute drive from you, but not really there. Uh, the church that ate Clarkston is the number one thing I think about when I think of DeKalb County, um, can you tell people who have never heard of this situation at all what the backstory of the church situation is? Because I think everything there is to know about Clarkston and maybe the district as a whole is summed up in that story. Yeah, so this district is definitely very diverse, but this certain situation is very, very disturbing. And... Um, of course, I try to, you know, mitigate some of these effects or really stop it, but it was unstoppable. So this happened in Clarkston, Georgia. I'm from Clarkston. Um, it's mostly a community of marginalized communities, mostly refugees, immigrants, and also African-Americans, mostly. But it is getting very gentrified. So, you know, uh, demographics are changing a bit. But anyway, to get back to your question, um, how do I even begin this? This was a very ridiculous situation. But so basically what happened is there was a $15 million development um, by the North American Mission Board, um, which wanted to create a very large uh, development where they claimed to provide resources um, and so-called help the refugees and immigrants. 
Um, mind you, of course, we all know when you are trying to help a community, um, you should probably ask them first what they need, right? Unfortunately, that, that should be step one, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, right? I feel like that's just, you know, that's um, especially in politics, we know like you are supposed to be serving the people that voted for you. Um, so therefore, it is very, very important that you are keeping them in mind throughout the entire process, especially at the beginning when you know people's intentions. So anyway, so yes, this entire $15 million development um, was approved before any of the residents even knew about it. It was literally kept a secret for over a year. Um, an entire group called Save Clarkson's Neighborhoods was created because of this situation. And they definitely fought very hard to stop this development by North American Mission Board. If y'all want to know who the North American Mission Board is, um, not that I'm trying to diss anybody, but... are not going to make it on this podcast if you're not willing to get those disses out. Let's go. So I'm saying, like, <laughs> of course, I'm not... I'm just saying, like, I'm sorry, but on all levels... This uh, group is not okay, um, and they are very discriminatory. They actually, just to give you like a background real quick, the Southern Baptist Convention was actually created. They separated from the North because they believed that slave owners should be able to be um, pastors. And so they separated from the North Baptist because of that, and they created their own Southern Baptist Convention, literally around the idea that they should be able to own slaves and still be preachers. Um, so of course, anything created from those kind of roots and white supremacy, you know, um, it's not going to change that much in these years. So they're also, also very strongly support Trump, especially even after the Muslim ban. Um, they also, their entire intention is to convert refugees and immigrants. I, I, it's so funny because I was literally going to ask, do you feel like they saw an opportunity to spend a bunch of money and have like something to put in the church commercials and win some soldiers for Christ uh, yeah. as their motivation to come to that city. Oh yeah, like, oh my God, I can like literally feel myself just getting worked up about this again. It's, yes, that's exactly what it is. And they claimed like, so when I asked them, because I, you know, helped organize against this development. And when I asked them specifically, what is it that you're providing the community that's not already provided? Can you please tell me what that is? Um, they had no answers. Oh, they're going to give book bags. They're going to give book bags to the kids. I'm like, we have that handled. We don't need the book bags. You know, like that's actually a very simple thing. If you're creating a $15 million development and all you have is backpacks, uh, it's not working out. Um, so yes, when I pushed and I was like, what else are you actually providing? Because you're claiming you're coming for support, especially when your support was not asked for. They had no answer at all. So then I decided I'm going to go deep into the research of their site and, you know, the news that they've been in. And actually, I came across their entire intention of coming to Clarkston was for the conversion of refugees and immigrants, particularly Muslims, because they believe that unless they intervene, then these then we will become radicalized and go against the United States. So they feel it's very important as you come into the U.S., let's get you. And, you know, put you on the right path, because as a Muslim or anything, you are, you know, doomed. Um, Muslim kind of sus. <laughs> mm -hmm. Kind of sus. And, you know, I am also Muslim. I 
you know, like first generation Americans. So like I had experiences with people trying to come to me actually, even up until like last year, I had somebody literally like run up to me to be like, can I save you? Um, so like these kind of situations happening throughout life, I even more understand why it's so critical to not have this in the community. Um, it's hard enough as it is to even be, you know, uh, like new to this country and being not accepted because of who you are. And to add on top of that, people that are literally telling you that you're crazy and your culture is not okay. It's just a very bad mix, especially for kids. And so their whole plan was to have an entire soccer field, a basketball court, like so they could come like bring the children over to their place so they can then be able to convert them because they actually refer to Clarkston as a hands-on experience for a more urban population. And then they had another population in a rural community, which they called an experience, a hands-on experience in a rural community. So literally it's like we're, this is a, uh, the refugees and immigrants are just study subjects. Yeah, no, literally they even had visitation. So people from all over um, the country that go to their churches were able to come and tour what they were doing to be able to also implement that in their places. Literally a study, like acting like this is a scientific study and they're about to go replicate this in different areas. Of course, that's a no. We cannot have something like that um, in especially what is considered the most diverse square mile in America. The most diverse square mile in America. I heard that this was an actual edict, Kennedy, that they passed. As soon as you drive into Clarkston, they start playing Africa by Toto over all the speakers. <laughs> <laughs> so you can really feel a unique urban wow. experience. Yeah. Um, coincidentally, by total and pure coincidence, um, you were on the opposite side of the mayor of the city at the time, uh, who was Ted Terry. And also coincidentally, um, you guys are opponents for the seat that you're now running for. Um, you're now running for DeKalb County Commission. First of all, can you tell us uh, what made you decide to even engage in political electoralism, running for office, that kind of thing? To be honest with you, I never planned to enter politics in this way. Um, of course, I've always like kept updated and read all about it and everything and but I'm on the activist end and that's like where I've always been ever since I was young. Um, and I hadn't really ever thought of actually going into an official position because to be honest, I mean, I feel like a lot of us do believe it's very dirty in there and I am realizing it is, I mean, which I knew, but like, it's on a whole nother level. But, you feel like more constricted in like what you can do as a politician versus as an activist? Sure. I mean, as an activist, you know, you can do, you can say whatever you want to say. As a politician, you need to make sure that you are representing everybody. Although, like, you know that there are so many inequalities. Um, like, this is just fact. We don't even have to, you know, go in circles anymore about whether that's true or not. That's fact. So, honestly, I only joined this race because I work with some refugee women in Clarkston and I'm helping them create their business. They want to have a cleaning business. And so I'm like helping them, you know, actually start this up. And in one of our meetings, they're like, 
you know, we've heard that there are a couple things that are opening up and we just really want somebody like you because, you know, we're coming straight from the country. You're first generation. You grew up here. So you have a way better chance. You don't have an accent. Um, you have an accent. Right. So that's a, OK. Yeah. That's what I thought. So everybody says that I have some sort of accent. I have no idea what it is. But um, so they're just like, you don't have an immigrant accent, though, apparently. So at least not as strong. <laughs> but I was born and raised here, literally. So that's why they're they're like, you had the opportunity to grow up here and go to public school here. And, you know, people are going to listen to you more. So, like, we need you. Like, we need you to do this for us. And I, uh, to be honest, at first, I'm like, no, <laughs> like, I'm not doing this. I'm not. That's, like, way too much for y'all to ask of me. Like, let me just, you know, get this business started and we can, like, get rolling on this. But to be honest, like when I went home and sat with myself, I'm like, they're right. And the only thing that's really holding me back is fear because I'm scared because I don't know that world. I don't I don't even know. Like, I already know people are going to come at me. Come on. I'm a Middle Eastern Muslim woman, you know, from like this area. So, of course, I already know what's coming at me. And I didn't really feel like taking on more. But like I said, as I sat with myself, I really thought about it and you know, I'm like, they're right. I do owe this. I owe this to my family. I owe this to my parents. I owe this to everybody, like not even just immigrants and refugees. I owe this to everybody that is marginalized and is going through, you know, this inequality and these un injustices. And so I decided like, you know what, I'm going to do this. And now I'm like, a hundred percent in and i'm really glad i made this decision i think for a lot of people they think of like county commissioner in their mind they might think of like something vague like if they have a property dispute with a neighbor or something they don't really know necessarily like what uh you know what you would actually be doing in a, a position like that so you can you kind of educate our listeners a little bit about what kind of like powers and uses a county commissioner has and how these things would affect their daily life? Definitely. And, you know, first, I just want to say it's totally understandable if you don't know, because we aren't taught this. It's not like it's something we're just taught in school, these different levels of, you know, government and why we should be involved. I mean, I'm sure that's on purpose. But anyway, so for commissioners for DeKalb County, um, so there's a board of commissioners. There's seven people. There are five that are of different districts, and then there is two super districts, and they all make up a board of commissioners. Um, and the board of commissioners really decide how your money is spent, um, which is really the biggest thing, like how all of your money is being spent. So um, I'm just going to talk like I'm already a commissioner. We are able to. Uh, regulate land use. Um, you deal with zoning issues. You literally deal with developments. You decide what the policies are. Um, you decide if MARTA, for example, um, well, that's our transportation system in Atlanta. Um, like if that is even extended, you literally are deciding what is happening to people um, on their, for their day to day life. So that's why like this position is actually super important for us to pay attention to and vote on, um, especially because like this literally directly affects us. I know it's very like, of course, we all get caught up in the national politics. And um, yes, I'll be honest, I was definitely going for Bernie and, and we're not even going to talk about that right now. But now it comes down to the point of, let's be honest, like these local politics are, these local elections are extremely important. This really does affect us 
on every single level. Um, like even for example, my street alone, I, my rent has increased by so much, but literally nothing has changed in my apartment. I still don't have a washer and dryer. I still don't have like, <laughs> a, like a dishwasher. I don't have any of these kind of things, but for some reason, my rent can is increase by hundreds of dollars. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that literally the county commissioners can take charge of developments. What is required? What is the community inclusion level? How do you actually get people engaged? That's like all involved with the the commissioners and it's actually considered a part-time position. However, I do not see it as a part-time position at all. Definitely a full-time position. And honestly, I, I would definitely leave my job for this job just because like, I honestly really want to make this a better place. And it's like way past time for that to happen. I have two questions. Question number one, why don't you have a washer and dryer? <laughs> Because I didn't provide it here. Um, I knew that coming in. Like, I knew there wasn't one, but it was cheap. Like, this this place was cheap, and that's what I needed. You know, I needed to be able to afford it. So I took this without a washer and dryer, and, you know, I just went to laundromats or my family's house or my friends. One of my friends would get me to just, like, he would be like, can you please wash my dishes, and then you can use mine, which is rude. He should have just let me use it. But I still wash the dishes. <laughs> that, is, that is a little rude. Right? I don't approve. <laughs> I don't either, but I did I'm it. calling your friend out if they listen to this <laughs> podcast. I'm calling him after this. My second question is, what is your day job? Oh, so I am a data analyst for public health research studies. Um, right now, I'm, I'm working on mostly cancer research, although I still do work in HIV. And I'm working on a project on tuberculosis. Um, I got my master's in public health at Georgia State. Um, So after that, I worked at the DeKalb County Board of Health for a while at the tuberculosis and refugee clinics, then moved on to HIV research and and literally like managing and analyzing all of the data for some Atlanta-based studies. And was I went to South Africa to also manage theirs, uh, a study that we were partnering in South Africa. Um, but now I've been working at Emory as a data analyst. I would think that data analysis for public health would have some special relevance given the global catastrophe that we are living through. Yes, no, maybe. Definitely. Like, uh, it's actually really crazy to see how, although we all know that our president is not at all who needs to be up there has no type of background or any sort of common sense. But the thing is, it's like, even when we have that, it it was just so still surprising, even on a state level and even on local levels that, that, you know, the precautions that needed to be taken and we had plenty of time to take them. were just not taken because everybody was worried about, Oh, well, we're going to lose money. But like, they weren't worried about what about people's lives? It, it seems just, I, I don't know, it's very distressing the way that uh, so many like sort of news publications and things like that have insidiously promoted the idea that, you know, we have to keep capital functioning. We wouldn't want that to get off track. I mean, even if a few people die. Uh-huh. Trump got the uh, the heads of the sports leagues. I don't know if you know this uh, together on a call. Uh, and he was like, yeah, it really looks bad that all the sports are closed. Uh, we want you to open as soon as possible so oh, that yeah. we can, so that we can all like be back to normal. 
And like in the case of a, a viral pandemic, the last thing you want to do is go to like a Braves game with a bunch no. of kids that are just, and oh, by the way, the only people that watch baseball and go to baseball games are old people. So they're just sitting there, all they're huddled together, coughing on each other. It sounds like a disaster. Oh, it's um, a complete disaster. Cause I'm just so mad at this because it's just like, we literally watched this happen in different parts of the world. We knew what was coming. And even though we knew what was coming, we still have the people that are way too, too focused on how much money they are making. They're not worried about how much money the rest of us are making. Obviously they're worried about how much they're making these corporations, these bailouts, like, and it's just like, even though we know that this country, you know, is about these corporations, it was still just so crazy to see it really play out in front of us so slowly. Um, and even here to have Kemp, our governor, I mean, Georgia's governor, Kemp, um, even say recently he didn't even realize asymptomatic people could transmit the disease, which is a complete lie. It's crazy. Like literally Kemp is, is all of our governor. Now he really represents all of America. He does. You're right. Like he really does. Um, and I believe he has good relations with Trump as well. Um, but that's, it's really like the fact is nobody was paying attention to the public health of the people, which means community health overall of every person. We're not focusing on people that just have health insurance. The whole point of public health is literally of the community, which includes everybody in the community. And instead of even listening to public health professionals, um, I feel like we never, honestly, like as a society, we don't take public health seriously. Um, like I already knew that I'm going to going into public health. I'm not going to make that much money, whatever. I don't really care. I was just like, okay, I want to focus on the population. I want to focus on the people that don't have medical care. I want to actually be able to reach out to all of these individuals. And it's just crazy that we're not, it's not even, public health is not even a concept until now. Now everybody wants to talk about public health. Um, but before this, it's like, it doesn't exist. It's just about, you know, um, actual health care. And we don't think about public health, the actual preventative side um, of health as well. And actually, that includes everything. So public health actually includes economic development is included in public health. Everything that, you know, brings wellness and optimizes health and also prevents negative health um, conditions is public health. So honestly, like I've realized like in this um, running for this commissioner race, I didn't even realize as much of how important being in public health and like really serving people is for this type of role. It actually fits perfectly. Um, because if you focus on the, the actual public health of the community, you are going to be making the decisions, um, the policies and everything that are actually for the people. So that's my, that's really like my entire platform as well. How hard has it been to run for County commissioner? Like, in terms of like the scope of maybe somebody out there who's thinking about running or helping someone to run, like, would you, how high do you feel like the bar is in terms of what's been necessary? Well, that's a very good question. So honestly, it's been a very rough road. Um, I feel like 
I feel like the whole, I mean, to be honest with you, this whole idea of power is an illusion. And you realize that even more when you're in it, like talking to all of the politicians or, you know, people that have been elected or trying to get elected. And honestly, like over, I'm not saying like people individually, but overall, there's no like realness. There's no, some people honestly should not be there. Like, as we know, some people are not even qualified to be there. They don't know enough to really be there, but they've gotten there because of their status or demographics or whatever. Um, And somebody who doesn't fit any of those categories, running is actually a very crazy experience because I get pushback from all ends. But at the same time, I realize like, this whole idea of power and this hierarchy is just an illusion. It's if we allow it to be this hierarchy. But if one of us, like if more of us that actually care about communities really run for these positions, honestly, we could definitely change the game. Um, and that's really what I'm seeing more and more. Like, I'll be honest, I was intimidated when I first started, but the more I realized how how my experience and my knowledge and everything is actually perfectly aligned with this position, but they want you to believe that it's just career politicians that make it. It's all a lie. And to be honest with you, I'm already, I'm working on creating a document um, to really help other people that are really determined to be there for the people in these different communities. I'm literally putting this together. So next time it'll be very easy for someone not easy. It's never easy, but like, it'll be more simple for somebody to follow these steps because now I figured out what the steps are. I didn't even know what they are when they entered, when I entered into them. I'm so glad you're working on stuff like this and that you have this kind of message in general, because, you know, something that we definitely talk about on this show is that while it might, you know, still be important and like, uh, you know, something that's worth talking about, we tend to spend a lot of time talking about things like the presidential election, when in reality, the position that you're running for is going to have more effect. If you went around and asked people like, what are their number one issues? You're going to have more effect on those number one issues that people are having every day than the president ever could. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's really important that people look at these positions, take them seriously and kind of like we make it available to people, the resources needed for them to understand what it's necessary to get someone who represents their community in office. And I I think that's really cool what you're working on. Thank you. Yeah. It's like also when the, the federal government is such, is so crazy, um, at least, you know, on a local level, we can try to mitigate some of these effects, you know? So it's really like, even though, of course, we're trying to change it from, we're trying to change the top too, but we have to change it from the bottom to the top because honestly, a lot of these politicians are not worried about the community like that. Absolutely. And we've seen kind of a representation of that in the sort of uh, not very well distri- distributed handling of coronavirus by different states. Um, do you maybe want to talk just a little bit about like, as somebody who is a public health professional, um, kind of how this was handled and what you think could have been done better in terms of like community efforts and national efforts and things like that? Yeah, definitely. Honestly, like the entire uh, response to this was trash. Sorry, I didn't have better words at the moment, but literally like the entire response 
was just ridiculous because when it comes down to it, we know people are, this is actually a novel coronavirus. This is not one that we've seen before, although we know of coronaviruses, but this is a, something totally different. This is a different strain. Um, and so we see from, even from China, we saw what was happening. We saw from Italy, what was happening. And we still sat here without any sort of emergency preparedness. I mean, it doesn't, of course, help that Trump got rid of the public health officials, the uh, department. But also even besides that, even with all these professionals telling them, telling politicians that we have to shut things down because this is going to be transmitted. It's very quick to transmit. And the thing is, when you also don't know that much about a pandemic, you really don't know what can possibly come. And I, I uh, specialized in infectious disease research. So I studied pandemics, like especially smallpox, like over the world and, you know, the different prevention methods and containment procedures. And it's just really crazy that literally we're in 2020 and all of these lessons that I've been reading about that lessons we've learned from these pandemics, nothing was taken into account. Like, because the biggest thing about a pandemic is also like timing. If you don't implement prevention methods in a timely fashion, it's over. That's why it's called prevention. There's a point where it's too late. And instead of taking this seriously, nothing was done. Nothing was shut down. And also we weren't given information. We're treated like children more. Like we're not really given the full information. So like, for example, communities, especially that are, you know, older communities, populations without a place to go to, um, you can't tell them you they can't be crowded, but you have nowhere to put anybody. When honestly, if these hotels are opening up, um, they don't have really anybody staying in them. You can put people in those places because this is an emergency. Um, and you should at least even be able to house people for this situation. Of course, more, but like, especially this. Um, none of that was done. We know people are going to lose jobs over this. Nothing was mobilized for funding. Um, really, there's no, like the whole idea of masks uh, really hasn't even been put out there until recently by the CDC. Like they're decide they're changing their ideas of what prevention methods are and what's not for prevention methods for just like regular people. And now we're finding that it's actually airborne and, you know, it's not just, you know, particles that are in larger sizes. It can actually be very, very tiny and still be in the air. And that's how some people are even getting it because they haven't like been around other individuals. So it's like our lack of communication, our lack of understanding. And even when we've been told by the professionals what we should do, we're not doing it. So it's it's really it's really sad, honestly. And it, I mean, it's sad that we're probably not surprised, but like this really shows the entire world what the U.S. is really about. And yeah, that's not entirely positive. We have not done uh, a really good job. And I feel like part of that is just community planning as well. Like the infrastructure uh, to, to really respond to things like this, not just political decisions that were made during the Trump administration, but stuff that's happened just over the last 20 years has just stripped all that stuff out like copper wire. Um, mm -hmm. A good example of this is in New York, um, a lot of people are getting sick and spreading it across a diffuse area because People do not live near where they work. So you can work somewhere and get sick, and then you've got to drive 
for 45 minutes to go back to your house because people can't afford to live anywhere near the places that they were. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So um, how, do, how does just our urban planning in general um, contribute to public health and community health? Oh, yeah, it's completely intertwined in public health. That is public health. Um, and the fact is, you know, like we were saying earlier, when you are increasing the prices by so much, but people are not making more money. Their income is not increasing by the same rate that you are increasing the property values all around. Um, for example, literally on my street, there was a place where people who didn't have a home had a place to kind of like hang out and stay. And everybody in the community was completely cool with it. There wasn't a problem. And now they literally kicked everybody out and they created a $500,000 condo. Um, literally each unit is that much. So uh, for situations like that, people have been pushed out. Um, They're not able to, yeah, like you said, they have to travel much more to even go to their jobs. When, I mean, one, that creates a lot of situations. One, transportation. We don't have a good transportation system. You're having all these cars on the road, increasing air pollution. I did this uh, study in China on the environmental effects of all of the pollution And we see there are long-term effects. Even if you don't see them right now, there are long-term effects of this pollution. So that's increasing that. One, you're also increasing people's travel time. The efficiency even for work, since everything is revolved around our our efficiency and how productive we are, I mean, it really does go against, you know, the whole idea when you have to travel all the way just to get to your job. Um. Also, I mean, which I don't believe in that whole productivity is everything, by the way. Um, But since that is what society is surrounded on, that is also just interesting that it is, you know, so separate from the actual idea. But even besides that, um, when you can't when you have to pay so much of your percentage of your income towards your rent, um, you don't have enough. You don't have as much for other things that you need to take care of food you know, basics, um, you know, school, like if you have children, there's just so many expenses, as we know. So that really, you know, creates a problem for public health, because you're not able to dedicate more of your time and money to your actual health, and the health of the community. I think that's very well said. Um, How do you balance? I mean, when we talk about developing, it's kind of hard, because all of these structures have already been made. So uh, is there new development coming into the district and what kind of regulation should be on new development in the district so that it contributes to a more healthy community? Oh, I, so yes, there are developments that have already unfortunately been created that are very expensive and they have already happened. So there's not that much that can be done. Of course, I'm I would love to figure out if there are, but right now, as I know, there is nothing really that can be done for those that are already created. But moving forward, we still have a lot of developments that are wanting, um, developers that are wanting to come into our district. But I believe that unless a developer is coming in and actually contributing to the community and the community has a say in what the developer is putting forth, then it doesn't need to happen. Um, a lot of times in Atlanta, um, and around DeKalb, it's like, we take what we can get. A developer comes and says he wants to do all these great things. I'm just saying he, just because <laughs> like most of these seem to be, 
But, um, you know, a developer comes in and wants to actually take over. And that's really what happens. Instead of even any sort of uh, communication with anyone in the community, a, a development just pops up. But if you could actually incentivize um, the developer actually producing something that is actually a value for the public health of the community, because my entire idea is going in, um, I want to do like a full on like survey. And I mean to reach everybody um, the same way census tries to reach people. But really going in and serving the access to all these things that are required for public health, such as clean water, green space, transportation, safety, housing, jobs, education, um, fresh food, all of these kind of things. Um, and you see, you determine, you figure out where where there are things lacking. So right now, I've been hearing, for example, from the South DeKalb residents, the unincorporated area, that there really aren't many fresh food options. There aren't that there hasn't been any economic development. Even though there was a feasibility study done in 2009, it was literally just put on the shelf. Nothing's been done. In order to actually, you know, have that happen and allow these opportunities to open up for people, if you're having a developer come in, let's be real, they have a lot of money. And where should they be putting it? Towards the community if they want to come into the community. So, something for example, uh, there's um there's a few places, actually in Rhode Island, I was reading about these health equity zones even. And they have, for example, there's no clinic around the area. So this hospital had partnered up with a developer and they were able to create this affordable housing unit and had a clinic inside. Um, and so like just on the premises. And it was also for, you know, more senior citizens who really needed to be able to have that kind of access. And if you're able to create that kind of infrastructure um, from the start um, that really promotes public health, it will really like it's the way to go. Even if you provide the developer like a, a tax cut in 20 years, that's actually way more beneficial for the community. Just so you know, really figure out partnerships in that way. Um, so I'm like, wait, what did you ask me? <laughs> All right. Well, what if you have situations where a developer looks at a regulation and it's like, yeah, uh, no, I'm just we're just not interested enough to do these things. Is is it more of a priority to encourage development in the region and then try to work around the edges? Or are you comfortable like telling a development project that might bring commerce to the district that like, hey, if you're not meeting these these requirements, then I, I will just go back to my community and explain that this isn't good for them. Yeah, I'm with that last option. I mean, me personally, if you're not coming in to benefit the community, then you don't need to be here. Um, like, in all honesty, like we are actually, people really act like our land is is um, not as valued as it really is because people are trying to come from all over the place to create developments in Atlanta and DeKalb area. But we 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 seem to just take what we can get. And it's like, no, we cannot be doing that. We are we need to value our residents and people and community and land and really take advantage. And to be honest, I would rather have small businesses from from people that are already in the community that have already been investing in the area, even with their time, um, their effort and, you know, really giving them an opportunity to create and build up their small businesses through small business loans even to identify like new businesses, not even just expand ones that exist. 
So no, like if one, if a developer wants to come in and say that he, they do not want to be a part of this, um, you know, actually adding on to the public health of the community, then you're out. We don't need you. Uh, I thought it was really great. Uh, kind of a, a minute ago when you touched on stuff like access to fresh food and things like that. I think a lot of times when people think about health, um, they don't really think of a sort of interconnected set of problems. They think of, well, sometimes I get sick and I sometimes go to the doctor and I sometimes get prescribed a medicine and that's about it. And it's just sort of a, a trade of, you know, get sick, take medicine. Um, in reality, health, and especially if we look at health on the community scale, doesn't really work that way. Um, can you talk a little bit about the interconnectedness of various issues such as like food deserts um, and things like that and how this all actually plays into one system of sickness in effect? Definitely. Like, that's the thing. Public health is literally, I. it's health is, I think our idea of health is very, very like limited and it has not expanded to the level that it actually is. And I mean, that might be intentional, might not, but the thing is, like you were saying, fresh, for example, um, having food deserts um, where you don't have any fresh food. I used to live in a place that literally had no grocery stores, but you could go to like the dollar store. You could go to like these more cheap um, places to get food and get like frozen food or whatever but there was no type of actually fresh produce. And as human beings, we need our nutrients. When you don't even have those basics of nutrients, especially in a country that claims to be, you know, so, so powerful and so wealthy, then you are, you are literally being okay with your population being sick because that is what is going to happen if you do not have fresh food. Um, you don't have clean water. Um, then it's already you're not even able to start your life, really, because health is everything like we're seeing right now. We're in this state because our health is in danger. We need our health first to even go enjoy anything else. So when you don't focus on public health, your entire system is screwed. You're you're not even getting like a fair chance at life. So people that are surrounded by these food deserts that don't have clean water, which is, which is very, as people might think that's not the case in America, but like, as we know, that's definitely the case in many regions in America. So, you know, even access- a super fun site, just, you know, 20 miles down the road from me where people don't have water. It's not that far away. It's basically on my back doorstep. And that's crazy. Like that is insane. And I think most people have problems like this that they're not even aware of somewhere probably closer to you than you'd like to think. Oh yeah. Big time. And a lot of things that even happen, we don't even know about like all of the sewage spills and everything into the water. We don't even know that they're happening because we're not given all that information. So yeah, like you said, there's clean there's like people who don't even have clean water that are down the street from you and that's why it's really really important to me to have um a survey where you are reaching out on different platforms to really reach people to ask them what is your access to these different things what is your access to fresh food what is your access to clean water mental and physical health care which should be wrapped in one 
because mental and physical health is in one, but we've chose to make it separate in this society, but also education, job opportunities, housing, safety, all of that. Every single thing is intertwined in that. Because even if you try to say, okay, why is economic development a part of public health? Well, let's see here. One, if you do not have the job opportunities, how are you even going to make the income to really even sustain your life and your families? You know, like, like it really is. The fact is health is involved in every single political topic we talk about, but we just haven't been given the wide perspective of like seeing it in this kind of way. Um, And to be honest with you, I didn't really see the full picture until I got deeper into public health. Like I knew these things all affected each other but it didn't really like click like that of like how much it's affected and how political health really is. When, when we started this interview, uh, you were very upset that a major project was taken, uh, was started as an initiative and didn't have the input of the community. So you've mentioned a few projects that would be pretty big projects. Can you talk about what your process of getting input from the community would look like um, and how do you balance that with the need to kind of do all these things effectively during your term? Yeah, so that's why. OK, so my first like very first first thing that needs to be done um, just because, you know, all of these all of these different um, like even all of the commissioners, everything you're doing, you're doing studies. Everybody's doing studies, right? They're claiming to do studies. What does that even mean? Um, for you to even have like a legit study, you have to actually have a representation of everybody. You have to actually reach out to everybody for this type of study that involves the community. So first and foremost is definitely to gather that data, gather the access to these different things, because, you know, um, like Kennedy was saying, even places that we might think have clean water, don't have clean water, but we don't know that because we don't live in those communities. So it's very, very important to first gather data on access to all of these different public health determinants. And then to go from there, like, like you're saying, if there's a development that wants to be built, um, sorry, let me backtrack. Okay. So once this uh, data is gathered, you're able to create plans for different municipalities or regions. Um, based off of the data. And then you are showing the community. And I don't mean showing the community as in like you have a meeting at 2 p.m. on a Thursday. Like people can't make that. People have to go to work. So it's very important that you make this very accessible. Um, You present this in a way where people that are on different type of platforms are able to still see this information. Um, And so once you do that and you get community feedback, you can make your changes And once again, before this actually rolls out completely, the community as a whole, the majority needs to approve of it. And also in that way, we're creating an evidence-based solution because we've already gathered the data. The people are telling us themselves that they don't have clean water. They don't have fresh food. So this development that's coming in, unless you're providing those things for the people, then you cannot be here. And we will show you exactly why um, and we will involve the community on all levels because I know exactly how it feels like we were saying to have a de- development spring up and we don't even know what is happening. Like, and we're the ones living here. We're the ones paying taxes. We're contributing to our community. We're working here. We're playing here. Um, so 
it's it's definitely just you know needs to happen yeah i thought it was so funny how you mentioned like you know oh they did some kind of study like how often do you hear that you know oh they you know they did a community survey about blah 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 i've never been surveyed for one of these I don't know. I don't know anyone who's ever been surveyed for one of these. I don't know anyone who's ever been asked what they thought about a new development, but they'll always put on this pretense that, that you know, this is what the community wants. We, you know, we asked you. Hmm. Exactly. A hundred percent. And then the thing is like being a data analyst, I know unless I need to read your methodology, what is your methodology and who are you surveying? Because that determines everything. It doesn't matter if you're like a study found, that, you know, um, there's plenty of fresh food around. And then you look at the study, you're like, wait, who did you ask? Oh, five people. Um, and five people that aren't even a part of the community. They're just professionals, supposedly, and they know these things. That's not legit at all, you know? And like you said, I've never been asked anything. Like, I've never had a survey. I've never been a part of a study of my community. And when I say, like, literally an entire condo was built right next to me where I had to wake up every day at like seven in the morning from the noise from this construction, but never did they one, even one time tell us what they were going to be doing ever. But they claimed that they did, they, they, they've done these studies and that this area was okay to build this type of structure. But I'm like, dude, I'm literally living right next to y'all and I never got a study at all. So if somebody's like not super into politics um, and they're running into you for the first time and you're hanging out with them for like a minute. Uh, just what's your message to that person to convince them that they need to be really involved and excited about the county commission uh, for Super District 6 and you specifically? Like, what do you tell that person that takes them from an unengaged voter to an engaged voter? Honestly, I'll just be real with them. Like, I also was not always thinking that local politics were so important. I really, I didn't see that because I was so focused on just on a federal level. But, you know, as time has gone on, you realize like that we are, there has to be a reason why we are not even told about our, our, like we're not taught that in school, in the public school system, even of like, what are these different levels? Why do we need to be involved? So honestly, it's like this money is coming out of your check. Like all this money that's been coming out of your check is being decided by people that are on the commission. And so I'm trying to be on there, but also because I know what it's like to be just, I'm, I'm just a regular person. I'm a regular person. I am not interested in being a career politician. Like I could care less about that. It's just more like, this is unacceptable the way that it is right now. And I'm sick and tired of having to deal with it along with my friends and my family and just other people in these different communities. Um, and that's really what the engagement level is for us to actually change the game for what's happening around us. Even if we can't always control all the crazy stuff that's happening on the federal level. So the good news is this hypothetical conversation that you have, it went great. I think when you mentioned their check, their ears perked up and they're, they're, they're all in. So they're like, okay, what am I supposed to do now that I understand the importance of you and the county commission, all this other stuff? What are the next steps that someone should take? The next steps, I would say, um, just because I want everybody to 
really, you know, be able to see everybody that's running, you know, like just have like the full, like just do the research, have the knowledge, but also like I'm available if anybody has any sort of questions, like, and don't ever feel like they're dumb questions because I am here. And trust me, I've asked a lot of questions where I start off with, I don't know if this is a dumb question, but um, there really is not a one at all. And if you really want to get involved, honestly, it's to vote. Um, do your research and vote. And right now, ours are an absentee ballots are the best bet just because, you know, we really need to still focus on prevention and we can't all be running to the polls. Um, I do understand that's not, that's not for like, not everybody is able to do that. But if you are able to, um, really send in your absentee ballot request so you can get your real absentee ballot, um, form, which I don't understand why they don't just pay for the stamps because that is actually like, you know, more difficult for people to actually acquire a stamp just to put on this, um, absentee ballot. You know why. America's yeah. governor, Brian <laughs> Kemp, you know why. You couldn't you could even just print it, you know, like you're literally the state. You can literally print it and it would be fine. But um and of course I would I wish I had enough money to provide stamps to everybody. But that is not the case at the moment. But definitely if somebody's having like really struggling with finding one, I will find a stamp for you. <laughs> um, like honestly, I will. I will find a way to get it to you. You are so generous. Um, no, I'm so serious. Like, we're not about to have this. Like, we should all have the equal chance to vote. And if we do not, then what the hell are we running? Like, what are we acting like we have so much freedom on? If we don't even have the freedom to have the same opportunity to vote for who we want in office to represent us. Um, so, yeah, that really to get engaged is one, if you if you really do believe um, a local somebody who's running for local office is going to be really good for the community. Please support them in any way possible. And that's not that's not with money. That's even like letting people know that is, you know, supporting them in any way that you're able to. Because to be honest with you, there's no I don't have a ton of money. I'm literally trying to figure out how to collect that um, on top of working my job and, you know, just just trying to really make make a way to really make myself available to people. And so really just ask the people that you really support and that you really feel their ideas and you really feel like their heart is in the right place. Because to be honest with you, um, really to me, everything is what is your intention? What is your heart? Because you can learn these things that are in politics. You can learn these different laws. You can learn the policies. You can learn how, how people work, but you can't change. Like we need people that really have that determination and heart to change things for positive, for the positive, for everyone, not just selected people. Can, uh, your campaign manager is here on the line with us. Everybody doesn't know this. Because uh, we made him be quiet. We muted him. But <laughs> we silenced him. But I can feel the waves coming off of him through the Discord. So I want to ask a follow-up question. Hi, Ian. Hey. How you doing? Ian, introduce yourself in like 30 yeah. seconds for the audience. Uh, so I'm Ian. I am Miriam's campaign manager, Ian Holland. I actually um, am a consultant, a real estate consultant. I came on to Miriam's campaign to help her with analysis and management. So uh, 
yeah, we're really trying to change uh, change the way that things are run because it's 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 crazy that people can get away with um, just kind of taking advantage of their position and not actually commit to making a better place for the community. I was going to say, I feel the heat coming off you through the Discord. Um, let's say that this hypothetical conversation is very excited about you in specific. So now that they've gotten the excellent civics advice, what should they be doing right now to support your campaign and raise this very important money uh, and this very important manpower? How can they plug in uh, to the network to help you be elected to office? Um, the best way to get Miriam there would be to just spread the word. Um, like if you, if you can't donate directly, if you can just spread on, just, just feed the, feed the beast. (laughs) Yeah. The social media beast. You are the first campaign we've ever had on this show that hasn't asked for money when we talk about how to support the campaign. Coronavirus time is hard to be at. Yeah, we we obviously we need money. Every campaign needs money. Like if you can give money, throw money at us. We love it. But really, the biggest idea is to spread the fact that we're really trying to bring a campaign that wants community interaction. Like we will be a direct link of you to the to the board. You'll be literally sitting on the board um, in a way that I don't think any other generation has really um, done it. So spreading this word and telling people like, hey, there is somebody who is not just a career politician, who's not just going to um, continue to, I guess, you know, give you the status quo. Because what's really changed? Who else is talking about making sure that uh, developers come in and bring in things that benefit the entire community, not just the people who invested in the development. And I am a real estate consultant, but when Miriam is talking about something that can not only enrich people, but enrich everybody, make everybody benefit um, as a community healthfully. So. That's very well said. Uh, Ian Holland, Mario Mahmoud, I have to thank you both for being here. This has been uh, a wonderful episode. Uh, and hopefully, like, we know you've got your election is coming pretty soon, but we'd love to just have you back on here or in a video format. Oh, absolutely. Access. That's what we're all about is access. You've got a big platform that we could barely scratch the surface of. So doing this in smaller chunks might help with spreading that word definitely yes thank you so much for having us yeah this was awesome and thank you listeners out there as always for choosing to spend another hour with us and whichever awesome people we can rope in on on the given week and uh you know we appreciate you so much as always if you don't follow the twitter it's at nsf wonks we really uh love it when our fans come over there and follow us we're always posting funny shit and interesting stuff and, you know, little updates about the show and things like that. And uh, also, you know, we also, much like our guests here, feel kind of bad asking for money during Corona times. But the fact is, is that some of us here on the podcast are struggling right now during the pandemic, too. And if you are in that comfortable position because you're working from home at a cushy tech job or something like that, and you can afford to throw us a couple of bucks at the Patreon, it's patreon.com slash not safe. It makes all the difference. Plus, you'll get access to a bunch of sweet, sweet bonus content, the likes of which you cannot even imagine yet. All right. 
We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.